Amen. How many thank the Lord our Redeemer lives? Thank you, Brother Nathan, for reminding us of that. His mother was playing the piano there, and from South Carolina, good to have the Bancrofts in for just a while. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter number 9, Hebrews chapter 9, and we're in a little series, you might say, marching down uh, to um, Easter, and we taught last week on Behold the Lamb, Our Substitute for Sin. Today we'll be speaking on Behold the Lamb, Our Sacrifice for Sin, and next Sunday, Behold the Lamb, Our Savior from Sin. How many believe that because Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave, you and I are going to be out of here someday because we believe in Jesus Christ. And so we'll talk about how he saves us from our sin because of the death, burial, and resurrection. And last week we accented somebody's death, but we cannot go to heaven just on the death of Christ. We had to have a sacrifice. We'll talk about that today. And let's stand together, please, reading God's Word, Hebrews chapter number 9. We'll begin reading verse number 19. Before we start, let me just say that this is... Uh, Anytime you get in the book of Hebrews and the book of Romans, these are very deep theological sections of Scripture that talks about our faith and doctrine in a deep manner. And so I'm not, I don't want to plunge you down there and lose everybody today. Typically, I'll use illustrations to kind of dig us out from time to time, or I'll stop and maybe tell some story. I'll not do that today, maybe one time, maybe. But I'm going to use a lot of Scripture, so when you're seated in just a moment... If you have a piece of paper, maybe a pen, maybe jot down some things that will kind of help you remember. Um, as, you, as I give you the reference verses, I'll give them to you, the addresses you might say for Scripture. And you might want to jot those down because this is a positional message. And uh, understand that we cannot have our sin paid for without the blood of Jesus Christ. And I cannot labor that point enough. We'll do that today with the Bible. Let's look at verse number 19. When Moses had spoken every precept, you ought to circle that word precept as speaking of rule or standard. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, that is the Old Testament, that is what God taught us, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament, or in other words, the promise which God hath enjoined unto you. In other words, God always enjoins mankind or reconciles mankind with the blood. It was like that all the way back to Genesis that we taught last week and we'll bring out again today. And so the only way that you and I can get to heaven is this joining back with God, this reconciliation because of the blood. This is the promise of God. Verse 21, moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. Though almost all things are by the law purged or cleansed with blood. Say this next phrase with me together. Ready? And without the shedding of blood is the remission. In other words, no, no forgiveness of sin and so forth. I'll read on. And it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, speaking of the blood of goats and calves, but the heavenly things uh, themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, something better was coming than the blood of goats and calves and lambs and so forth. And here it is, verse 1, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. And there is speaking of the tabernacle and the ark and the mercy seat. All that was made by hands. God commanded Moses. You can go back in the Old Testament. And the names of people are named there that actually built the ark and the mercy seat and all of that. The, uh, the, the um, veil and all of that. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true 
but unto heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. I could give you some good old-fashioned Baptist doctrine there, but suffice to say that Jesus made that final sacrifice in heaven, not on the earth in the mercy seat. Praise God for that. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the priest, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. That's speaking about every year on the day of atonement, the priest would go in and he would present that blood there every year for the sins of the Old Testament people. But Jesus did it one time. He doesn't die over and over again. Look at verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Two verses there. Let's look at verse 22. Let's read that together. This is our text, verse 22. Ready? And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Also, verse 26. Let's read that out loud together. Verse 26. Ready? For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus sacrificed himself. And we'll talk about that. The sacrifice for our sin. Father, bless now these great truths. Burn them deep in our hearts. Let no man, woman, boy, or girl leave this place thinking they can atone for their own sin. Only you can do that through Jesus. Bless us, we pray, please, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. This morning I want us to focus on the most important thing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, when we get to heaven, we won't be rejoicing necessarily about the teachings of Christ or the miracles of Jesus. We will not necessarily be rejoicing over the beauty of heaven, although it will be a beautiful place. We often say that. But according to the Bible, we will worship him because he shed his blood for us. You see, preacher, just prove that from Scripture because when I get to heaven, first thing I'm going to do is go see my grandpa, go see my mom, go see my dad, and all those things. Yeah, it sounds really, really neat. But the Bible literally tells us what we'll be doing in heaven. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, And when he had taken the book, speaking of Christ the Lamb, literally, contextually, when he had taken the book, that is the Lamb, the four beasts and the four and twenty-four elders, as speaking of the redeemed and resurrected church, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, and here it is, saying, Thou, speaking of the Lamb, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, and here's why. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed, in other words, atoned for, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue and people and nation i'm going to just say this the best way i know how for some reason the church right now in 2021 this has been going on for a long time does not get as thrilled about the sacrifice of christ's blood the way the old church used to i don't understand that but i can tell you this god's going to change that when we get the glory you're going to stand there flat-footed knowing that the only way you got there is by the blood of Christ. The only way that you uh, will ever make it to heaven is through the blood of Christ because that's the only payment God accepts, not your works, nothing else. 
So after 400 silent, silent years in history, as we talked about last week, God moved on the man named John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist introduced God's son to this world, saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, that was a big statement. We touched on it last week. That statement meant something to the people living during John the Baptist's time. There was a remnant of people left alive, that is the Jews, who had a working knowledge of the Bible passed down to them through those 400 years. When John spoke of the Lamb of God, they knew exactly what he meant. From Adam to Abraham to Moses, the Hebrew people had been taught to understand that their sins were always atoned for by a sacrificial lamb. Now God had prepared himself a final sacrifice in his only begotten son. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ was not some afterthought with God. It was not his plan B when plan A failed. He only had plan A. God never failed and presented Christ as an afterthought. It was God's plan from the very beginning. Revelation 13, verse 8, the Bible identifies Jesus as the lamb that was slain from the foundation, or the words, the creation of the world. You see, before God ever hung that first star in space, before he ever heaped the mountains together, before he ever scooped out the oceans uh, <coughs> for them to run so vast, he planned for the Lamb of God to die on the cross for you and for me. I have three thoughts today. Number one, the standard of the blood. Number two, the shedding of that blood. And number three, the satisfying of the blood. Did the blood of Christ satisfy God? Number one, let's talk first of all about the standard of of that blood sacrifice. I will not labor this point because I dealt with the doctrine of our substitute for sin last week's message, but verse 19 here says in our text today, God uses the word precept to speak of Christ's sacrifice. By that he means the precept or the rule or the standard was taught by Moses to the people, but the blood sacrifice had been in effect since Eden. The sacrifice for sin is nothing new then to humanity. In fact, since Bible times, the world has operated off of this standard. We say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In fact, when it comes for life, the Bible says in Numbers 35, 31, God makes it very clear when he says, moreover, ye shall not, ye shall, excuse me, ye shall take no satisfaction for life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So the Bible teaches life for life. That's very significant. So anytime a sin or trespass against another person occurs, there's always some type of restitution. But when it came to murder, then the life for life took place in the sacrifice for the payment of the death of that human being. By the way, that's why all of us should fear retribution when murder occurs. I think in the back of every person's life, we understand the sacredness of life. We understand the life of the flesh, the Bible teaches us, is in the blood now i uh i understand how gruesome all this sounds but that's just the way it's always been and even though that men and judges today have distorted and downplayed this type of payment that's always what god required so the question comes well what does a person do when we've sinned against god let me just stop and say this lest you think you're not a sinner the bible says in romans all have sinned and come short of the glory of god there's none righteous, no, not one. So in fact, you could really, without 
without the precious blood of Christ and his mercy being applied to your life, you could be typified as one that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. So you could be typified in this matter of needing life for a life. And by the way, God's not going to let anybody trample the blood of his son under their foot. So we're talking about very, very sacred ground right here. We understand a lot in Scripture, for instance, what does a person sin that sin against God? Well, they do. Well, the answer to that question is there must be a blood sacrifice. We touched on this somewhat, and then how that animal was slain for Adam's sin, but there was a blood shed for Adam's sin in that animal. Uh, it was made for Abel. And that sacrifice, that dead animal was made for Abel's sin. He gave the perfect sacrifice, but blood was shed. Even Noah was commanded <clears throat> by God when he let, to load the animals on the ark, that certain animals would be loaded on the ark. They'd be used for sacrifices for sin once the ark landed and civilization was rebuilt. It was, uh, this blood sacrifice was made for Isaac there on the mount. It was made for the children of Israel under the hand of the high priest. And so the list goes on and on. Now, all these sacrifices were made as mere types and symbols for the coming sacrifice of Christ. But watch this now. They weren't a waste of time because it's what God commanded in the Old Testament and it's what God accepted in the Old Testament. It was a command. Now Jesus comes. And uh, so what happened to all those blood sacrifices? Well, they're done away with because Christ once for all died on the cross. And that's why I think the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he says, which is interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the sin payment was made. No more animals after that. I know there are people that did that and the Jews kind of forced that, their hand and all that. We read in chapter 10, here in the book of Hebrews, verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. I'm giving you the standard. So for you and I, we cannot slay an animal to have our sins absolved. By the way, should I, I should touch on this and say this, the Satanists do that. We won't go into that today. That is just a, a wicked, perverted way to distort the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, turn back to chapter 9, look at verse uh, number 12. It's detailed in more, full, more, more fully in chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 12. Neither by the blood, blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, speaking of Jesus, he entered in <laughs> once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. In other words, his death on the cross, Christ made his way into not the holy place here on earth, there the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant behind the veil because that was done away with, but he did so in heaven. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of, of a heifer sprinkling of the unclean sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more, you ought to circle that word, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, that means without sin, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, understand this Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice my point is the blood sacrifice for sin has always been God's standard and Jesus is God's final sacrifice once for all I'm not asking you to understand why God made his son our final sacrifice for sin I can tell you that scripturally and doctrinally it's because he loved us I wonder how much that even matters to people today what matters a lot to me 
I'm so glad that God loved me and gave his son for me. I'm not asking you to understand all that. I'm just telling you that's just the way it is. And if you are ever planning on going to heaven when you die, you better have Jesus as your sacrifice or you will pay forever with your body and soul and the unquenchable fires of hell. So you've got your choice. Do I try to pay for my sins by my own good works, my own good deeds? You're wasting your time. Or do I let Jesus, who has already paid for my sins, take care of sacrificing for my sin, making that atonement, and then I accept that. Praise God, I chose to accept that on May 30, 1965 as a little boy. And I trust you, if you've not done that, you'll do that as well. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He's talking about his going away and coming back. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm just saying, like it, lump it. That's just the way it is. You better find a way not just like it. You better find a way to love the standard of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Number two, jot this one out. Not just the sacrifice, uh, or excuse me, the standard of the blood, but number two, the shedding of the blood. The shedding of the blood. A growing number of liberal theologians are now saying that the shedding of Christ's blood is merely a metaphor and has no significance to our redemption. Now, there's a lot I could say about that harebrained theology that condemns men to hell, but let me instead use the Bible to do my talking. First of all, look at our text verse, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That has not changed. There is no forgiveness so it has more, it's more than just a metaphor. It is the only way that you and I have our sins forgiven. Let me read on. Christ's blood atones for us in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, in other words, an atonement, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. Secondly, Christ's blood redeems us from sin. Ephesians chapter 1, listen to the wording. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Christ's blood, thirdly, uh, allows us to have peace with God. In other words, reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. And lastly, Christ's blood cleanses us from sin. Revelation 1, 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible makes a big deal out of the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's high time that you and I make a big deal out of that because that's the only way we are reconciled with God. We have peace with God. It's the only way our sins are atoned for. It's the only way that we're redeemed from our sin, and it's the only way to have our sins cleansed through the precious blood of Christ. I say again, what shall wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I might also add here that in the process of the shedding of his blood, he did so willingly. You say, why does that matter, preacher? I'm going to tell you why it matters. It's what makes it a sacrifice. You see, nobody pushed Jesus to do anything. He, the second person of the Godhead in that agreement from the foundation of the world, had already made this decision, and Jesus went to the cross willingly. Let me read in his own words in uh, 
John chapter 10 and verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. Notice the phrase, I lay down my life. That is billable in Scripture, Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament, verse 7. The Bible says he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I'm just saying as the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly. He didn't draw back. He didn't say no, though he dreaded the sin aspect of it. Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly for our sins. Now, I'm so glad he did. Oh, how he proved his love for us. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The phrase giveth means he sacrificed. First John 3, 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Don't miss this. We get to Easter Sunday and though this maybe is the morbid part of preaching through the Easter season, the sacrificial death, don't ever forget what it meant to Jesus to die for your sins. We were the prize, Hebrews says, set before him. He knows us all by name. The very hairs of our head are numbered. He knows our actions. He knows our beginnings the time of conception. He knows when our last breath will be drawn here on this earth and he's not willing that any of us should perish. All should come to repentance. May God help us as we work our way through this season and understand the importance of the shedding of the blood and the changelessness of the standard of the blood. Number three, the satisfying of the blood. God asked this question, did it work? Did it take? Well, let me stop and say this. As you read the Old Testament, and many of you are through this portion of it, you're probably moving into the prophets right now, maybe at least the Psalms. But you've already read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And you read through all of that where they set up the sacrificial system and the lambs and the sin offerings that would be brought daily from time to time for those sins that they committed during their day and week. And you saw the Passover night with all the wailing and weeping of, of uh, Pharaoh's family, those firstborn that were being slain, and how God took care of them on that Passover. None of Israel died. Their firstborn did not die because of the blood of that lamb. We've read about all of that. And then the system and how the system always worked on that Day of Atonement. It always worked as long as they brought that spotless lamb they brought the best and the priest went in and he made a sacrifice for his sin before he went in it always worked and if mankind could get it right all those years with what God just commanded him to work with why in the world would we ever think that when God sent the final sacrifice that it wouldn't take so God was satisfied. Isaiah 53 10 says this literally, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul 
an offering for sin. Kind of makes a little more bigger deal out of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Those two adjectives there, only son. He only had one. Begotten of God, the virgin birth, the sinless son of God. Think about that. He gave him for you and I. So the Bible verifies the fact in Isaiah 53.10 that God would be pleased, but we find in the New Testament a theological term, I've already read it, the the term propitiation. I remember when I was in Bible college how they trained us. uh, We had a Greek professor, and he said, you've got, gentlemen, you must pronounce this right. It's not propitiation, it's propitiation. So we had to get that. I don't know if I ever got it right. But the word is a very, very solemn doctrinal word and it means literally this to appease or please by atonement now we try to please our earthly fathers and mothers and so forth not by dying for them but we try to obey them Jesus the only begotten son of God obeyed God the death of the cross and because of that he was appeased or pleased by the atonement Romans chapter 3 again verse 25 whom God has set forth to be, speaking of Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How many of you say, I believed in Jesus Christ? Say, hold your hand up, say, man, whatever. All right, did you know this? The Bible says that he is the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. God justifies you, which means just as though you've never sinned, and we have. So did it take? It sure did, because Jesus was our propitiation, our atonement, our appeasing. In other words, watch this now. We've made peace with God. We've been reconciled through Jesus Christ. So much I could say about that for the sake of time. Let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, <clears throat> from your vain conversation received by the tradition of, from your fathers. Let me stop. What does that mean? That means that you and I are not redeemed, we're not justified by things on this earth by gold, by silver, by your lifestyle, your vain conversation, by the traditions of men, by the way that many religions on planet earth think they're justified and can go to heaven based on those things, that I can bring enough money or gold or whatever or things to God or I can live a good enough life or my conversation, my lifestyle can be so good that God allows me to go to heaven uh, or if my good outweighs my bad, or if I've traditionally just had passed down to me uh, this thing called my religion, I go to heaven. No, no, no. Let's listen to the whole verse. The Bible says, For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you. I'm so thankful that God has taken care of all this. 
Well, we make such a big deal out of how we go to heaven. We, we think, well, you know, you, you just live a good life and you believe in Jesus and you just start adding things. Can I say we're going through the book of Acts right now. Every time somebody tried to add to the finished work of Calvary in the book of Acts, they stopped and they had to have a board meeting. Paul and Peter and those guys came out and said, we're not adding circumcision, we're not adding this, we're not adding good works. We're going to say, well, just make sure they don't eat uh, these bad meats and so forth. No, no, no. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Boy, don't ever forget that. So Christ's blood cleanses us from sin. I want to wrap this up just by saying that Jesus Christ only pays for our sin with his blood. I read a story recently about the SS Dorchester. The Dorchester was a cruise ship, an intercoastal cruise ship that was commandeered when we went into World War II as a troop ship. February 3rd, they loaded 903 troops onto that ship. Four of those were chaplains. They set sail for the battlefield February 3rd, 1943. One of the four chaplains was a Moody College alumnus, Lieutenant George Fox. As you know, World War II was in full swing, and the ship was headed across that night, the icy North Atlantic, where German U-boats lurked, were known to lurk. And at 12 o'clock in the morning of February 3rd, a German torpedo ripped through the ship, scream went out over the loudspeakers she's going down she's going down man the lifeboats there were not enough lifeboats for everybody nor enough life jackets as those soldiers scrambled for the lifeboats a young GI swam the best way he could across the raging sea coming across the deck rails to one of the chaplains and he said I've lost my life jacket I can't find it sir he said take this one chaplain handed the soldier his life jacket before the ship sank, each of those four chaplains gave away their life jackets to another soldier. In fact, the heroic chaplains then linked their arms, it is stated, lifted their voices in prayer to God and song as the Dorchester went below the icy sea. Lieutenant Fox and his fellow pastors were awarded posthumously the Distinguished Service Award. They understood there that they knew that they were ready to meet the Lord. They were not sure about their fellow soldiers. So they sacrificed their lives. The history says, as I went back and read it, that over half of those men died at sea. But some of them, I'm dally, were spared to tell the story. In fact, in 1948, our government issued a three-cent stamp with the pictures of those four men on the front of it commemorating their sacrifice for their fellow servicemen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, those chaplains died so the people could live physically. Jesus Christ died in sacrifice so that you and I can live forever and ever and ever and ever. All through his precious blood. The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was sent into this world for you he was born for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He did everything he did 
so that you might be liberated from your sins and have the hope of heaven someday when you die. He gave his life willingly on the cross so that we can have everlasting life. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I want to ask you right now, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? Was there a day that you can remember that you bowed your head trusted Christ as Savior. And I want you to think about that. See, preacher, I remember that day. Would you lift your hand, put up real high, put up real high and testify, I remember that day. God bless you. Thank you so much. To put your hands down. Now, I wouldn't embarrass anybody. I would not do that for nothing. But I am a gospel preacher. If you could not raise your hand right there, I would love for you to come to Christ today. In just a moment, we'll stand. I'm going to pray. We'll sing a hymn of invitation. We'll have somebody standing at the end of each aisle. They'll have a Bible in their hand. If you'll come, they'll take just a moment to read some scripture out of the Bible and show you again how you can be saved. They'll help you pray that sinner's prayer. We are here to help you. We don't want anybody to leave this place without knowing for sure that heaven's their home. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. They're playing softly as they're playing right now. Our men are getting in position with their Bibles. Today, if you couldn't raise your hand, why don't you just come and just say, I've I've come to be saved. Maybe you're not sure about that. Maybe you did something religiously years ago, but you just need some validation. They'll help you with that. If you're a man, a man will pray with you. If you're a lady, they'll give you a lady with a Bible, and they'll show you how you can be saved today. Today, if you've been saved, you've not been baptized, we'd like to help you with that. We want you to come. We'd like to join our church this Palm Sunday. We'd love to have you do that. Father, bless now, please, this invitation time. Speak to hearts. Somebody today is lost. I pray they'll come to you today, please, and get pardon and forgiveness for their sins. In the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing right now. Would you leave your seat and come as we sing? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you. Let's sing that chorus together. Come home, sing it together. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, He's calling today, tenderly, earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is thank you for your word today and the chance we've had to talk about one of the most precious subjects in all the Bible that scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation thank you for your son Jesus and for his precious blood in Jesus name I pray amen amen thank you may be seated and thank you so much for coming today it's good to have guests again I hope you have a chance to go by the information desk and we'd love to meet you there we have a special gift for you as we leave today um we did have our soul winning blitz, and we were kind of shocked at the number of people that came out. Uh, the weather was just pouring it down, and uh, I think there was were some that.
went out when things settled down for just a little bit. But a uh, terrible day yesterday for door knocking. We did instruct our folks to take their information and their maps, and we'll do some door knocking this week. We've got some pretty sunshine coming up the next few days. And I want to challenge you as you leave today to pick up uh, some of our brochures, our door knocking hangers, and let's be a blessing to people. I think we even have posters you, you can put up some of the businesses. If you put those up, though, make sure you go back after Easter and take those down so we don't junk up their windows. And uh, let's be a blessing getting the word out. We're asking God to do something special next week. Brother Pierce wants you to come, and he'll tell you how to dismiss. And uh, wife and I love to meet you at the front door. All right, just a reminder, next Sunday morning, just two services, main service at 9.30, main service at 11 o'clock. We will have, obviously, the children's services as well and nurseries as normal. Um, but uh, just to help you with that, no, no Life Stage classes next week. Would you stand with me and let's sing together, My Savior's Love, How Marvelous, How Wonderful. Sing it on that chorus. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall end. Take that with us today. If you're in the back five rows of the main floor, go ahead and be dismissed. If you're in the front, hesitate just about 10 seconds. Let folks start to filter out. Balcony, you can begin to make your way down as we've been doing for the last year. Soon enough, we won't have to do this anymore. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Choir, orchestra, don't forget, next Saturday morning, 930, we will meet in here.